Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We're on a horse farm down in North Carolina. up to date on where we are because every couple weeks we are somewhere else so yeah no that's that's that is true listeners we are uh campfire classics on the road again on the road again i just can't wait to i don't know what i picked the wrong key for that it was like it's normally like on the road again guess can't wait to get on the road again this musical interlude brought to you by uh, whoever the fuck wrote that song. A local brewery, because that's what we're brewery. enjoying. Yeah. So we're in speaking, Asheville, speaking North of, Carolina. I'm going to go grab my local brew, because it's on that table over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, ha- we have local brews, and it's uh, not not bruises, but like brews. Oh, a couple of those, too. Yeah, I have a few bruises, too. Um, we are currently down here shooting... Uh, some combat-based music videos for Ken's brother, who's a musician here in Asheville. If you're a regular listener, you've actually heard some of his music on this podcast. Yes, he's written a few things for us and let us borrow a few things of his original compositions. Yeah. So uh, he's also a patron. So uh, yeah, we're down here with uh, Mr. Craig Kelberg. Um, and the past two days, we have just spent kicking each other's asses. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we'll uh we will when it's all done and ready we'll put up video of everything we've been doing although that that'll probably be a few weeks still oh yeah however if you are on instagram and go check out donnie rex on instagram all one word uh on d-o-n-n-i-e-r-e-x on saturday june 5th he posted a brief video with maybe five seconds long with a couple of clips of the things we had worked on that day so uh you can you can go check that out to see what we've been doing yeah it's been fun uh i woke up well we got done yesterday because we filmed outside yesterday next to the river like on a beach pretty much so we spent six and a half hours uh doing stage combat on a beach um after we've been lazy butts during uh, quarantine and for 18 like months. Ken and I have been working out, you know, like doing our workout classes, going on runs occasionally. But like there's a difference between like taking an hour out of your life to work out and being on your feet for six and a half, like quite literally like kicking ass. So it's like um, we got home last night and we were wrecked. We got a giant bucket of or a box of chicken from Bojangles, which is like the Popeyes of the South. Oh, yeah. It was delicious chicken. Oh, but man. Good Lord. I could have gotten a workout just carrying that box of chicken around. The woman handed it to me. And this woman was like 60 plus, I, I think. And she hands me this box. Through my little beetle car window. It barely fit. And it barely fit. And I was also like, how is she carrying that? It came with a half gallon of sweet tea, y'all. A half gallon of sweet tea. I think the whole box weighed about half a metric ton. It, it was... was <laughs> Lord almighty. We, we were laughing the whole way back here. And then we devoured it. And then I think I fell... I was in bed before nine. Oh, yeah. I didn't go to sleep until like... I mean, I had trouble sleeping because I was pain. in a lot of pain. Um, but I think I, was, I think I felt, probably fell asleep around 11. That's early. For like, 
I just wanted to be on the bed and not moving. And that's what we did. So that's what we're doing down here. Um, and this Airbnb we're at is adorable. It's on a, it's on a, um, horse farm in, uh, Mills river, yeah. uh, North Carolina. And About it's 20 something minutes outside of Asheville. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's lovely. When we're done here, we'll, uh, we'll give you where, where we were, or what we're doing. And, yeah. um, I know we have a lot of stalkers out there. I just don't want to say exactly where we are. <laughs> I don't know who's listening. <laughs> speaking of stalkers. Um, speaking of stalkers? Well, speaking of creepy things, I guess. Uh, oh, do we have a promo this week? We do. We <laughs> do. We have a promo this week. And I really need to jump on do we have a promo this week before we hit our first potential speaking of because I feel like. Um, I'm just really good. <clears throat> not at segues. <laughs> I'm just really good at forcing segues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, stalkers are creepy, and our uh, promo this week is... Stalkers are good at forcing things, and I'm good at forcing segues. <laughs> I'm good at making segues happen. <laughs> but our... <laughs> good God. Um, our promo this week is for an awesome podcast called Life Paranormal with V. See? Creepy. You know, it's a paranormal. Paranormal, yeah. No, I'm with you. Well, uh, let's uh, play the promo, and uh, then we'll chat a little bit more about stalkers and creepiness. All right, here it comes. Hey, guys, this is Vanessa. My podcast is Life Paranormal with me. Listen as I serve you all things spirit, paranormal, and unexplained. Join me every other Saturday as my guest hosts and I recount our own experiences that will perplex and utterly terrify you. Life Paranormal with V is available on all major platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Join the Lifer fam by following me on Twitter at Paranormal. Follow, like, subscribe, and hit that notification button so you can always catch a ride on the spooky vibe. All right. I, I'm catching a ride on the spooky vibe. <laughs> I kind of want to listen to a few of those episodes while we're out here because it's kind of, we're kind of isolated. Yeah. I mean, we're closer to society than it feels like we are right here, but like there's no street lights out here. We're like no. out in the middle of nowhere. It's and- one of those places where you, so you look out the, the front door of this little cabin we're in and there is a horse pasture on one side and a little gravel road that goes out to the main road eventually. Takes but a while. while you're looking out, you're seeing, you can see like fireflies or lightning bugs or whatever you call yeah. them in your region sort of flitting across the, the road. And it does give a very cool sort of spooky, supernatural, little bit of yeah. an eerie, like there is something extra normal going yeah, on here. Yeah, I, I definitely, and we're in the South and like, we're kind of in like civil war territory. So there's probably a lot of ghosts around here. Yeah. Um. So maybe, maybe Vanessa, we will actually have some stories to share with you after our month long stay here. Oh um, yeah. If anything creepy happens, uh, I actually need to talk to Vanessa because I do have a You've got a story to share. Really, gotta... I have a few really good ghost stories. One in particular that I uh, did share on Ye Old Crime. Yeah. Um, very early in their podcast, and they're doing very well. Coincidence? Um, I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, but, but if you like paranormal things like I do, go check out Life Paranormal with V. And uh, yeah, and if you have some scary stories, you should share them with her. And also with and us. And also with us. Because we like 
I love scary stories and we'll like share them as well. So yeah. yeah. I think that's uh that's our promo, our promo business. Yeah. Is that um, is that it for old business? That's it for old business. We're down in the south and we did a promo for the, the Life Paranormal and uh I ate some fried chicken like right. twice in 24 hours. <laughs> so I'm good. And apparently it's changing where you're from real well, hard. I know I'm not going to go into this detail all over again, but I was born in the South. I was born in the deep South. Uh, we moved away when I was nine. And uh, when I get around these people, it just kind of comes back. Like, and I'm like, oh God, please don't think I'm making fun of you. Cause when I first start talking to you, I'm like, hi, I'm from the Midwest slash East coast slash, you know, generic America. Someplace kind of posh yeah. for America. And then I get down here and like halfway through the conversation, I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, let's play a game. Let's do that thing. You know, I want some chicken. And uh, <laughs> so uh, hopefully I don't slip into that while I'm reading today. Unless it's appropriate. And Unless it's appropriate. Why don't we find out if it is? All right. For our new listeners, because every episode is somebody's first. And if you're going to jump in, why not in episode 51? So what, we, so what we do here is we take turns reading short stories by the authors of yesteryear. Uh, this week, it's my job to choose a story that Heather is going to cold read and we're going to um, laugh at her interesting accent choices and make fun of things that the author wrote that are now inappropriate sex jokes. Most, um, most of them are. <laughs> At least yeah. in my mind. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. Um, now, typically, before the story, uh, whoever chose the story gives uh, a bit of fun facts about the author. However, this week's fun facts are going to be quite brief as we're going back to an old Campfire Classics favorite. Oh. I figured it was appropriate. We had, we've finished our first 50. Yep. So with 51, we're going to go ahead and start over with Agatha Christie. Oh, my God! She's our muse. She's she's the muse. She's the one who started this all. This is how this all this whole crazy shenanigan began. For more on that, go back and listen to episode one. The sound quality isn't as good, but the story's still great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I discovered a collection of her short stories that was published after the public domain date, but the majority of the individual stories were published separately in The Sketch, a popular British magazine at the time in the early 20s. Oh. So while the book is still under copyright, many of the individual stories are available in the public domain. Snap loophole. I love legal loopholes. Legal loopholes are the best. <laughs> uh, so, your story this week is not a Poirot mystery, but a Tommy and Tuppence story. Originally what? published in the sketch in 1924, but today it's most commonly found in the book Partners in Crime. Okay. Now, Tommy and Tuppence first appeared in the novel, so we're not going to read it, in the novel The Secret Adversary. Oh, I've heard um, of that. Okay. Right. So this collection follows the married couple, Tommy and Prudence, who goes by Tuppence. Prudence is my car's name. Yep. Um, <laughs> So at the urging of a government contact, Tommy and Tuppence have taken over the International Detective Agency, which is a recently cleared out spy stronghold. They are there posing as the owners so that they can intercept enemy messages coming through. 
And while there, they also take on their own detective cases, Tommy using the fake spy name, Mr. Blunt. Mr. Blunt. Yep. <laughs> um, so in this collection, and one of the reasons I'm doing just a quick bit of fun facts about the, the story in the collection is because in this collection in particular, Agatha Christie wrote a series of cases that they would solve in the style of other great literary detectives of the day. Okay. So there are there's a case that they solve in the style of Sherlock Holmes. There is a case that they solve in the style. And the, the okay. final story in the book, which isn't the one you're reading, um, is a case that they solve in the style of Hercule Poirot. <laughs> um, oh, that's some meta shit yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so the collection came out to largely positive reviews. Uh, at the time, there was at least one reviewer who complained that the parodies of the other uh, detectives that they were doing weren't quite sharp enough, weren't quite strong enough. Okay. But as many of the 1920s detectives that they were parodying, par- parodying um, are mostly forgotten today, that's actually kind of to the benefit of modern audiences, yeah. that it's not too specifically yeah, it's a not reference on the to, nose. Like yeah. the only ones we probably really know are Doyle, which is Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, and then her there, there's also there's uh, we've we've read a short story by Edgar Wallace. Yes. One of his detectives okay. is parodied yep. in the collection. Okay. So, yeah. So that's that. Uh, and that, my dear friends and listeners, is about all I'm going to say about that. OK. So you can if you're interested in more information about Agatha Christie, we have covered her at length. Four times? At, uh, well, more well, than that. No, because we did all of November last because year. all was, of November so was her. So at least six, six or seven. I think we've done six Agatha Christie's, um, yeah. So please do, if you haven't listened to them, go back and check out those previous stories. She is fascinating. Her she writing is, is incredible. Fascinating. Um, plus, we would appreciate the extra listens. Yeah, go, li- go download those and then tell five friends, because that's how we uh, do the podcast pyramid scheme. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, so also while you're there listening either to this episode or other episodes, like and subscribe because yeah. that really does help Review. us immensely. Yeah, anything you can do, we do everything we do, we do it for you. You <laughs> know it's I true. Do, everything, everything I do, I do it for Agatha Christie. Agatha. <laughs> it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Um, so that is the, the fun facts for t- All right. this week. I know real short and to the point, oh, I but like I figured it. let's get to the story and we've all heard just about everything we can about, about Miss Christie's life. Yeah. So Heather, today you will be reading The Affair of the Pink Pearl. Not the Pink Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> is that a euphemism for virginity? I don't know yet. Let's find Let's out. Let's find out. Let's start the fire. The Affair of the Pink Pearl by Agatha Christie. What on earth are you doing? demanded Tuppence as she entered the inner sanctum of the International Detective Agency. <laughs> Slogan Blunt's Brilliant Detectives. And discovered her lord and master prone on the floor in a sea of books. Well, that's a very that is that's a that is opening. a lovely opening. <laughs> I'm like, 
feel like there's a decent chance you've come home a couple of times to find me prone, prone on, on the, the floor, floor in a sea of in books. In a sea of books. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> or like a D&D like campaign that you're working on or something. Scattered with character sheets. Yeah. Tommy struggled to his feet. I was trying to arrange these books on the top shelf of that cupboard, he explained, and the damned chair gave way. Oh, he fell. <laughs> he fell. <laughs> <laughs> and he just decided, okay, I'll just stay here. What are they anyway, asked Tuppence, picking up a volume. The Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> I wouldn't mind reading that again sometime. <laughs> so it's another, it's a detective story by Doyle. Yep. You see the idea, said Tommy, dusting himself with care. Half hours with the great masters, that sort of thing. You see, Tuppence, I can't help feeling that we are more or less amateurs in this business. Of course, amateurs in one sense we cannot help being, but it would do no harm to acquire the technique, so to speak. These books are detective stories by the leading masters of the art. I intend to try different styles and compare results. <laughs> All right. All, All right. right. Okay. So he's going to educate himself by reading the... Uh, it's going to be really hard to be Sherlock. Yeah. He is born... I mean, he was born a sociopath. A <laughs> so this is sort of... Uh, what's the movie? Um, Romancing the Stone. Oh, roman Oh, yes. So it's sort of Romancing yes. the Stone, but like flip-flopped instead of the writer becoming a detective in her own adventure yeah. it's like a fan of the book deciding that the writer actually knows how to solve these mysteries so it's like murder mystery with adam sandler and jennifer aniston where she's obsessed with murder mysteries and falls into a murder mystery god damn it that's a much better parallel and it was literally on an hour and a half Wait, ago if you haven't watched murder mystery on netflix with adam sandler and jennifer aniston y'all it's a treat go check it out it's delightful said Tuppence. <laughs> I often wonder how these detectives would have got on in real life. She picked up another volume. You'll find a difficulty in being a Thorndike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thorndike is capitalized, therefore is a clearly someone's name, it's, but it yes. just sounds like a like really, really um, sharp lesbian. <laughs> Like, like a l little angry to the Thorndike. And because imagine... it's, it is difficult to be a Thorndike. <laughs> I want that I want that term to like start making the rounds. <laughs> She's such a Thorndike. Why is that not a drag name already? Ken, you have your calling. <laughs> or I have mine because I've always wanted to be a drag queen. So I can be a bio queen with the name Thorndike. Thorndike. <laughs> yes. You've no medical experience and less legal, and I never heard that science was your strong point. <laughs> Perhaps not, said Tommy, but at any rate, I've bought a very good camera, and I shall photograph footprints and enlarge the negatives and all that sort of thing. <laughs> now, mon ami, use your little gray cells. What does this convey to you? Okay, Poirot. Oh my God, this is so meta. <laughs> He just straight up quoted Poirot. Who at this point only has a handful of short yeah. stories out. And yeah. I think like one novel. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. He pointed to the bottom shelf of the cupboard. 
on it lay a somewhat futuristic dressing gown, a Turkish slipper, and a violin. Obvious, my dear Watson, said Tuppence. <laughs> exactly, said Tommy. The Sherlock Holmes touch. <laughs> Oh my god, they're such fangirls. I'm obsessed. This is what our detective agency would be if we started one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You'd be on the floor surrounded by books, yep. and I'd be like, what are you doing? Babe, and like, I'm going to grow a giant mustache and start talking with a French accent. You need to learn how to play violin. Oh, I don't know. if I, Can I play the ukulele? Is that close enough? Sure. Or if you want, you could grow a mustache and start talking in a French accent and I'll learn violin. Can I strap on a mustache? <laughs> strap on a mustache. That's a thorn dyke, right? <laughs> <laughs> mustache rides are free. <laughs> <sighs> he took up the violin and drew the bow idly across the strings, causing Tuppence to give a wail of agony. <laughs> At that moment, the buzzer rang on the desk a sign that a client had arrived in the outer office and was being held in parlay by Albert, the office boy. Yeah. Ooh, there's an office boy. I wonder if he's wearing a Speedo just for fun. It's like a pool boy. It's England. There aren't many mm. days a year where a Speedo is going to be very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't also, want... he's going to be real pasty. Yeah, he's white like me. It's okay. Tommy hastily replaced the violin in the cupboard and kicked the books behind the desk. Not that there's any great hurry, he remarked. Albert will be handing them off to the stuff about my being engaged with Scotland Yard on the phone. Uh, get into your office and start typing, Tuppence. It makes the office sound busy and active. No, 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 no. On, on second thoughts, you shall be taking notes in shorthand for my dictation. Uh, let's have a look before we get Albert to send the victim in. They approached the peephole, which had been artistically contrived so as to command a view of the outer office. The client was a girl, about Tuppence's age, tall and dark, with a rather haggard face and scornful eyes. Clothes cheap and striking. I why is Tuppence now, uh... Where did she come from all of a sudden? Is she putting on a character voice? The secretary has to be, like, a little lower class, I guess. I don't know. All right. Well, now you're committed. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm going back. Clothes cheap and striking, remarked Tuppence. Have her in, Tommy. Wow, that was judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> She's cheap but hot. She shops at Forever 21. <laughs> yeah. That's about right. Um, but you know what? Live your life. Wear what you want. That's what I say. Yeah. Although, this is... 1924 if you're shopping at <laughs> forever, forever 21. 21 you're really ahead of the times you're really, good for you you're kicking butt <laughs> she's probably like covered in like burberry and they're like that's cheap anyway she's probably dressed like a flapper it's 1924 yes i hope she's dressed like a flapper and that's why they're like she's cheap because she's dressed like a modern woman cheap Let's, but striking cheap but striking all right let's find out in another minute, the girl was shaking hands with the celebrated Mr. Blunt, while Tuppence sat by with eyes demurely downcast and pad and pencil in hand. 
My confidential secretary, Miss Robinson, said Mr. Blunt with a wave of his hand. You may speak freely before her. Then he lay back for a minute, half closed his eyes, and remarked in a tired tone, You must find traveling in a bus very crowded at this time of day. I came in a taxi, said the girl. (laughs) Oh, said Tommy aggrieved. His eyes rested reproachfully on a blue bus ticket protruding from her glove. The girl's eyes followed his glance and she smiled and drew it out. You mean this? I picked it up off the pavement. A little neighbor of ours collects them. Tuppence coughed and Tommy threw a baleful glare at her. (laughs) She's like, good job, loser. Smooth move, Sherlock. Sherlock. (laughs) Damn it, I thought that was pretty good. We must get to business, he said briskly. You are in need of our services, miss. Kingston Bruce is my name, said the girl. We live at Wimbledon. Last night, a lady who is staying with us lost a valuable pink pearl. Mr. St. Vincent was also dining with us, and during dinner, he happened to mention your firm. My mother sent me off to you this morning and asked if you would look into the matter for us the girl spoke suddenly almost disagreeably it was clear as daylight that she and her mother had not agreed over the matter (laughs) she was here under protest (laughs) mom's like go do it we we pay your rent we do this just go run my errands as long as you live under my roof you'll hire the detectives i tell you to (laughs) damn it and I will give you money for a taxi. <laughs> Don't take the bus. The bus is for it's skanks. It's so pedestrian. You're just cheap. Not a skank, you're cheap. <laughs> There's a difference. I see, said Tommy, a little puzzled. You have not called in the police? No, said Miss Kingston Bruce. We haven't. It would be idiotic to call in the police and then find the silly thing had rolled under the fireplace or something like that. <laughs> Oh, said Tommy, then the jewel may only be lost after all. Miss Kingston Bruce shrugged her shoulders. People make such a fuss about things, she murmured. Tommy cleared his throat. Of course, he said doubtfully. I am extremely busy just now. I quite understand, said the girl, rising to her feet. (laughs) There was a quick gleam of satisfaction in her eyes which tuppence for one did not miss nevertheless continued tommy i think i can manage to run down to wimbledon will you give me the address please the laurels edgewood road make a note of it please miss robinson miss kingston bruce hesitated and then rather ungraciously will expect you then Good morning. Funny girl, said Tommy as she had left. Okay. I want to go back to a time. Well, I know that it's an England thing. I know it's an England thing. But I wish when people ask for my address, I could give them the name of my house. That's just, that is so cool. It's so cool. But like, you know, all American, like a bunch of Americans would be like, we're the Eagle House. Or like, we'd be like, we're the Fish Den. I don't know. The fish den? 
I don't know why. How the hell did that come from? I'm thinking of all those guys on like Tinder and stuff that are holding fish in their profile (laughs) pictures. And they're just like, look, I love fish. Fish are the best. Come over to the fish den and we'll go on a date. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Fish den. The fish den. Uh, Miss Kingston Bruce hesitated and said rather ungraciously, We'll expect you then. Good morning. Funny girl, said Tommy when she had left. I couldn't quite make her out. I wonder if she stole the thing herself, remarked Tuppence meditatively. (laughs) Uh... Come on, Tommy, let's put away these books and take the car and go down there. By the way, who are you going to be? Sherlock Holmes still? I think I need practice for that, said Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Smart, smart man. That's the smartest thing he's said yet, I think. so far. (laughs) Well, second smartest. I actually think the idea of pretending to be other detectives, that's pretty clever. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, Like, one of the ways that, like, if you're a musician... Before you start writing all of your own music, usually what you do is you Covers. learn to cover songs by your favorite bands. Yeah. When you're a writer, you often borrow stylistically and thematically from your favorite writers. Yeah. So I wonder if as a private detective, That's I something don't know people how do. I'm going to solve this. Well, I wonder what Brother Cadfile would do. I will say my one of my college professors in his younger years was a PI. Seriously? Like in the 70s. That's yeah. dope. And he has some pretty crazy stories. He did it for a couple years as like a like survival job, and he but he was a PI. Huh. So I kind of want to reach out to him now and be like, "Hey, hey, Dennis, can you tell me about those PI days?" Yeah, yeah. do it. Yeah, I think I need practice for that," said Tommy. <laughs> I came rather a cropper over that bus ticket, didn't I? <laughs> So basically, I made a damn fool of myself with that I, comment, didn't I? I did. I did the dumb. I did dumb dumb. <laughs> you did, said Toppins. If I were you, I shouldn't try too much on that girl. She's as sharp as a needle. She's unhappy too, poor devil. I suppose you know all about her already, said Tommy with sarcasm. Simply from looking at the shape of her nose. I'll tell you my idea of what we shall find at the laurels, said Tuppence, quite unmoved. (laughs) A household of snobs, very keen to move in the best of society. The father, if there is a father, is sure to have a military title. The girl falls in with their way of life and despises herself for doing so. Tommy took a last look at the books, now neatly arranged upon the shelf. I think, he said thoughtfully, that I shall be Thorndike today. (laughs) Thorndike! Thorndike's back! Dr. Thorndike. Dr. Thorndike. On the adventure. I also love that, like, he, because especially of the time, the man would always, like, would assume the position of like the detective and this would be his secretary yeah but clearly the woman is much smarter than him. <laughs> which which is the entire premise of that show remington steel remington steel it's the entire premise uh like so many shows like it's like i mean murder she wrote it's like she's just the it's the miss marple which yeah. is another character of agatha christie's yep. it's like 
Anyway, let's find out what happens. I'm guessing Tuppence is going to solve this. <laughs> Not Mr. Thorndike. What are all his names? Thorndike. Tommy Blunt Thorndike. Thorndike Tommy. Yeah. All right. I shouldn't have thought there'd be anything medico-legal about this case, remarked Tuppence. Medico-legal. So it's just like a slash. It's a hyphenated word. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was Thorndike up. Thorndike also a, a lawyer? doctor and lawyer must be. I I assume so. Based <laughs> it's a lot on that. of schooling. Yeah. Although less at the time less schooling if he's if his character takes place in the 19th century. Yeah. Even less if he takes place in the 18th century. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a time when to become a doctor, all you had to be able to do was cut open someone's wrists or apply a leech. Yeah. Ew, that's upsetting. Okay. Anyway, shoot him up with mercury if they had syphilis. <laughs> God. No, don't Google syphilis. <laughs> Anybody, I had to do it once for the show. I regret it forever. <laughs> don't Google syphilis. Perhaps not, said Tommy, but I'm simply dying to use that new camera of mine. It's supposed to have the most marvelous lenses that ever was or could be. For the time, I'm guessing. For the time. I know those kind of lenses, said Tuppence. By the time you've adjusted the shutter and stopped down and calculated the exposure and kept your eye on the spirits level, your brain gives out and you yearn for the simple brownie. <laughs> simple brownie? I'm guessing that's a phrase for like a simple, a simple device. Brownie. Yep. The Kodak Brownie number two model F. From 1924. That makes more sense. It's it's one of those um, those cameras that looks kind of like almost like a no no like a um, a box with a handle on it and just a little lens in the front. Okay. Um, I have a picture and uh, we can actually put a picture of a brownie, like maybe in the promotional material or something, so our listeners can see it. But it's. Oh, it, it literally looks like a box. It looks like a brown box it looks with like a, a makeup lens in box. front yeah. and a handle on top. It looks like a caboodle. Like, yeah. <laughs> Only an unambitious soul is content with the simple brownie. Well, I bet I shall get better results with it than you will. Tommy ignored the <laughs> challenge. I ought to have a smoker's companion, he said regretfully. I wonder where one buys them. <laughs> Is that like a, a a cigarette box, probably? Maybe. Getting a lot of fun words. Yeah. Smokers. Yeah, it's it's a little tray that has a space for the like the clippers, the ashtray, the cigarettes, the matches, burned matches, the whole thing. All right. It's a, so it's a bougie cigarette box. Okay. Yeah. There's always the patent corkscrew Aunt Armitia gave you last Christmas, said Tuppence <laughs> helpfully. That's true, said Tommy. A curious-looking engine of destruction, I thought it at the time, and rather a humorous present to get from a strictly teetotal aunt. I, said Tuppence, shall be Polton. Tommy looked at her scornfully. Polton, indeed. You couldn't begin to do one of the things that he does. <laughs> yes, I can, said Tuppence. I can rub my hands together when I'm pleased. That's quite <laughs> enough to get on with. I hope you're going to take plaster casts of footprints. 
Tommy was reduced to silence. <laughs> Having collected the corkscrew that went round to the garage, got out the car, and started for Wimbledon, she just shut his ass down. She goes, shut your face. I can do everything. He's like, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm going to be fine. You're going to try to take pictures with your fancy-ass camera. And, and take, take plaster molds. Plaster casts of footprints, which you don't know how to do. Yeah, like... I'll just be sitting over here being like, what an idiot. <laughs> the Laurels was a big house. It ran somewhat to gables and turrets, had an air of being very newly painted, and was surrounded with neat flower beds filled with scarlet geraniums. A tall man with a close-cropped white mustache and an exaggeratedly martial bearing opened the door before Tommy had time to ring. I've been looking out for you, he explained fussily. <laughs> Mr. Blunt, is it not? I'm Colonel Kingston Bruce. Will you come into my study? <laughs> so her first name was not Kingston. No. The, the family name is Kingston Miss Bruce. Kingston Bruce. So we don't know her we first don't know name. We don't know her first name. Because ladies don't give their first names. No, although apparently also, neither do Also, why colonels. did I get... And also the instinct to give her like a like lower class accent. Because she was wearing cheap clothes. Yeah, but yeah, maybe she's maybe she's like trying to rebel. Oh, you so, know she's the like bohemian emo kid in the military conservative like, family. Yeah, who's like I'm gonna get like a estuary accent, daddy, and he's like talk proper. She's like, what are you talking about, daddy? <laughs> like, yeah, and all he's doing is sitting at home complaining about I didn't fight in the Boers' war yeah. for you to talk like yeah. a street urchin. <laughs> Now go run my errands. He led them into a small room at the back of the house. Also, I'd like to point out that Tuppence's first guess that he is a military guy is correct. And that it's a very posh, like, bougie house. He led them into a small room at the back of the house. Young St. Vincent was telling me wonderful things about your firm. I've noticed your advertisements myself. This guaranteed 24-hour service of yours, a marvelous notion. That's exactly what I need. Well, that's a, that's a, that's wow. a ballsy thing to say to people. All right. <laughs> 24, 24 hours, one and done. Even like, Poirot takes more than 24 hours on yeah, occasion. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to have you look this up. Inwardly anathematizing. Ah, cursing. <laughs> so she's just standing there, Tuppence just standing. Inwardly anathematizing. So inwardly cursing Tuppence for her irresponsibility in inventing this brilliant detail. <laughs> Tommy replied, just so, Colonel. So he's sitting there going, fucking bitch, I Doing the uh the Joe Pesci from uh from Home Alone. Which I'm fairly certain he still snuck a couple in there. Oh, absolutely. If you go back and listen, you're like, yeah. Inwardly anathematizing slash cursing Tuppence for her irresponsibility in inventing this brilliant detail, Tommy replied, Just so, Colonel. (laughs) The whole thing is most distressing, sir, most distressing. Perhaps you would kindly give me the facts, said Tommy, with a hint of impatience. Certainly I will at once. 
We have at the present moment staying with us a very old and dear friend of ours, Lady Laura Barton. How old was she? She, never mind. What? <laughs> said, very old lady. Oh. How old was she? She was so old that when she was born, God said, let there be light. I don't know. <laughs> Um, are you doing your stand-up comedy I'm, I'm doing This is my stand-up bit. I'm oh, sorry. okay. Okay. Ignore me. I, I wasn't aware that's where we were. I, I will play along next that's, time. That's the part of the night we're at. Okay. I, that's this is This is the part of the episode, dear listener, where Ken tries to be funny and Heather doesn't get it. <laughs> Heather's because, like, what? Because Ken is not funny. <laughs> that's not true. You are funny. I just didn't understand. Yeah, but looks aren't everything. <laughs> Not at all. You're so handsome. <laughs> all right, back to my my big brash colonel voice. Back to your bloviating. Bloviating. Daughter, so my our very old and dear friend of ours, Lady Laura Barton, daughter of the late Earl of Carraway. The present Earl, her brother, made a striking speech at the House of Lords the other day. As I say, she is a very old and dear friend of ours. Some American friends of mine who have just come over the Hamilton Betts were most anxious to meet her. Nothing easier, I said. She is staying with me now. Come down for the weekend. You know what Americans are about titles, Mr. Blunt. <laughs> Excuse me? And others besides Americans, sometimes Colonel Kingston Bruce, Tommy says back to him. <laughs> Alas, only too true, my dear sir. Nothing I hate more than a snob. <laughs> well, as I was saying, <laughs> the bets came down for the week. Do you like my colonel? I do. <laughs> I can picture this man very clearly. Yep. Well, as I was saying, the bets came down for the weekend. Last night, we were playing bridge at the time. The clasp of a pendant Mrs. Hamilton Betts was wearing broke, so she took it off and laid it down on a small table, meaning to take it upstairs with her when she went. This, however, she forgot to do. I must explain, Mr. Blunt, that the pendant consisted of two small diamond wings and a big pink pearl depending upon them. The pendant was found this morning lying where Mrs. Betts had left it. But the pearl, a pearl of enormous value, had been wrenched off. Who found the pendant? The parlor maid, Gladys Hill. Any reason to suspect her? Oh, she has been with us for some years, and we have always found her perfectly honest. But, of course, no one ever knows. Exactly. Will you describe your staff and also tell me who was present at dinner last night? 
Oh, there is the cook. She has been with us for only two months. But then she would have no occasion to go near the drawing room. The same applies to the kitchen maid. Oh, and then there is the housemaid, Alice Cummings. She also has been with us for some years. And Lady Laura's maid, of course. She is French. <laughs> Colonel Kingston Bruce looked very impressive as he said this. Tommy, unaffected by the revelation of the maid's nationality, said, Exactly. And the party at dinner? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Betts, ourselves, my wife and daughter, and uh, Lady Laura. Young St. Vincent was dining with us, and Mr. Rennie looked in after dinner for a while. Who is Mr. Rennie? A most pensulential fellow an arrogant socialist good looking of course <laughs> <laughs> them damn liberals they always so good looking <laughs> oh it's some hippie that my daughter has the hots yeah. for but you know he's attractive at least the babies will be pretty <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is hilarious okay um Good looking, of course, and with a certain spacious pa spe specious? Specious? Specious. Specious. Power of argument. Specious. Superficially plausible, but actually wrong. So he's really good at faking it till he makes it. He's really good <laughs> at looking like he knows what he's talking about. When in fact, it's all horseshit. Uh, I know be, so many. You'd be really, uh, you guys should like have a like story off sometime. He would be, well. I, <laughs> <laughs> when, when you go on your like stories, so, like you only do it in fun. He's doing it for like argument's sake. I, I do tell specious stories. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say he would do very well on Facebook. Do very well on Facebook <laughs> and very well in uh, government, I feel. Yeah. A most pens, pen. What was it? Pens pestilential. Pestilential. It's like it's pestilence. Pestilence. I, 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 yeah. Pestilential. Yeah. A most pissed. <laughs> <laughs> a most pissed man. <laughs> he was very drunk. He was wasted. Possibly, I was very drunk. I can't remember. Somebody was very drunk. The Are one. you drunk, sir? I oh. Were you drunk? <laughs> Did you steal my pearl, Mr. Thorndike Blunt? I'll show you my pearl, Mr. Thorndike Blunt. I'll show you my dike, Mr. Blunt Thor. Now go put your finger in it. Uh, hey. Like the little Dutch boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Get your friggin' mind out of the gutter, listener. Um, okay. <laughs> I was right there with you, listener. A most pestilential fellow, an errant socialist, good-looking, of course, and with a certain specious power of argument, but a man, I don't mind telling you, whom I wouldn't trust a yard, a dangerous sort of fellow. In fact, said Tommy dryly, is it Mr. Rennie whom you suspect? <laughs> I do, Mr. Blunt. I'm sure holding... Shocker. Yeah, right. I'm sure holding the views he does, that he has no principles whatsoever. 
What could have been easier for him than to have quietly retched off the pearl at a moment when we were all absorbed in our game? There were several absorbing moments, a redoubling no Trump hand, I remember, and also a painful argument when my wife had the misfortune to revoke. <laughs> Quite so, said Tommy. I should just like to know one thing. What is Mrs. Betts' attitude on all of this? Well, she wanted me to call the police, said Colonel Kingston Bruce reluctantly. That is, when we had searched everywhere in case the pearl had only dropped off. But you dissuaded her? I was very adverse to the idea of publicity, and my wife and daughter backed me up. Then my wife remembered young St. Vincent speaking about your firm at dinner last night and the 24-hour special service. Yes, said Tommy with heavy heart. <laughs> you see, in any case, no harm will be done. If we call in the police tomorrow, it can be supposed that we thought the jewel merely lost and were hunting for it. Oh, by the way, nobody has been allowed to leave the house this morning. Except your daughter, of course, said Tuppence, speaking for the first time. Uh-oh. row. Except my daughter, agreed the colonel. She volunteered at once to go and put the case before you. Mm-hmm. Tommy rose. We will do our best to give you satisfaction, Colonel. <laughs> That's how you maintain your 24-hour satisfaction guarantee, huh? Yeah. We will do our best to give you satisfaction, Colonel, he said. I should like to see the drawing room and the table on which the pendant was laid down. I should also like to ask Mrs. Betts a few questions. After that, I will interview the servants, or rather... My assistant, Miss Robinson, will do so. He felt his nerve quailing before the terrors of questioning the servants. Colonel Kingston Bruce threw open the door and led them across the hall. As he did so, a remark came to them clearly through the open door of the room they were approaching, and the voice that uttered it was that of the girl who had come to see them this morning. You know perfectly well, mother, she was saying, that she did bring home a teaspoon in her muff. Whoa! <laughs> she, she's smuggling cocaine in her muff? Damn! Fucking drug mule. Drug mule's in the house. <laughs> Better hope the baggie doesn't break. In another minute, they were being introduced to Mrs. Kingston Bruce, a plaintive lady with a languid manner. Miss Kingston Bruce acknowledged their presence with a short inclination of the head. Her face was more sullen than ever. Mrs. Kingston Bruce was voluble. <laughs> but I know who I think talk. No, I like it. Keep going. <laughs> Stick with you're committed now. That's her voice. But I know who I think took it, she ended. That dreadful socialist young man. He loves the Russians and the Germans and hates the English. What else can you expect? <laughs> <laughs> Dirty socialist. Mm -hmm. 
He never touched it, said Miss Kingston Bruce fiercely. I was watching him all the time. I couldn't I'll have failed she to see. Yeah, she's like, I'm into it. <laughs> she's like, I was staring at his bootay. <laughs> he didn't touch it. I was watching him the whole time, and he never even noticed me. <laughs> it wasn't your mother. It's not fair, mother. And I put all that stuff in my muff and everything. I'm wearing my cheapest clothes and he won't even look at me. <laughs> my boobs are up to my face. I put cocaine in my muff and he won't look at me. It's because you're snobs. You're all snobs. He never touched it, said Miss Kingston Bruce fiercely. I was watching him all the time. I couldn't have failed to see if he had. She looked at them defiantly with her chin up. Tommy created a diversion by asking for an interview with Mrs. Betts. When Mrs. Kingston Bruce had departed, accompanied by her husband and daughter, to find Mrs. Betts, he whistled thoughtfully. I wonder, he said gently, who it was who had a teaspoon in her muff. <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing to overhear and who had a teaspoon in her muff that was so awkward <laughs> just what i was thinking replied tuppence mrs betts followed by her husband burst into the room she was a big woman with a determined voice mr hamilton betts looked dis dispetic dispetic despotic despetic no i don't know there's no O. Dyspeptic. 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 Of or having indigestion or consequent irritability or depression. So, Pepto-Bismol. Like yes. Dyspepto-Bismol. Dyspeptic. Pe Pepto-Bismol comes dyspeptic. from the same root as dyspeptic. Yeah. I learned something. Dyspeptic means there's something upset in your peptic system. There's something upset in your system. All right. Uh, Mr. Hamilton Betts looked dyspeptic and subdued. I understand, Mr. Blunt, that you understand. <laughs> I understand, Mr. Blunt. I think that was Liza does, Kate Hepburn. Yeah. Yes, I am a Catherine Hepburn. I understand, Mr. Blunt, that you are in private. <laughs> this is Kate Hepburn on a bender. Well, she has a teaspoon in her muff. I mean, somebody does. I understand, Mr. Blunt, that you are in a private inquiry agent, uh, one who hustles things through at a great rate. Hustle, said Tommy, is my middle name, Mrs. Betts. Uh, let me ask you a few questions. Thereafter, things proceeded rapidly. Tommy was shown the damaged pendant, the table on which it was lain, and Mr. Betts emerged from his taciturnity to mention the value in dollars of the stolen pearl. And withal, Tommy felt an irritating certainty that he was not getting on. I think that will do, he said at length. Ms. Robinson, will you kindly fetch the special photographic apparatus from the hall? 
<laughs> what a dick. What a dumbass. And I bet she just looks at him like, Oh, you mean the brownie? Oh, you mean the damn camera, you yeah, dumbass? Yeah, I'll get the brownie. Miss Robinson complied. A little invention of my own, said Tommy. In appearance, you see, it just looks like an ordinary camera. Oh, fuck this guy so hard. He's such a dumbass. He had some slight satisfaction in seeing that the bets were impressed. He photographed the pendant, the table on which it had lain, and took several general views of the apartment. Then Miss Robinson was delegated to interview the servants, and in view of the eager expectancy on the faces of Colonel Kingston Bruce and Mrs. Betts, Tommy felt called upon to say a few authoritative words. The position amounts to this, he said. Either the pearl is still in the house, or it is not still in the house. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> oh, yes, it's a very good point. Quite oh, yeah, so, said the colonel with more respect than was perhaps quite justified <laughs> by the nature of the remark. If it is not in the house, it may be anywhere. But if it is in the house, it must necessarily be concealed somewhere. <laughs> uh, a search must be made, broke in Colonel Kingston Bruce. Quite so. I give you carte blanche, Mr. Blunt. Search the house from attic to cellar. <laughs> oh, Charles, murmured Mrs. Kingston Bruce tearfully. Do you think that is wise? The servants won't like it. I'm sure they'll leave. The hell of a murmur. <laughs> She's a very, like, boisterous British woman. That was quiet for her. We will so you're feeling, you're feeling specifically connected to this character. Very much so, yes. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> fuck you and fuck you. You're cool and fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, we will search their quarters last, said Tommy soothingly. The thief is sure to have hidden the gem in the most unlikely place. I seem to have read something of that kind, agreed the colonel. Quite so, said Tommy. You probably remember the case of Rex versus Bailey, which created a precedent. Uh, yes, said the colonel, looking puzzled. <laughs> now, the most unlikely place is in the apartment of Mrs. Betts, continued Tommy. Am I? That would be too cute, said Mrs. Betts admiringly. <laughs> Without more ado, she took him up to her room. Yes, she did. Where Tommy once more made use of the special photographic apparatus. Yeah! Yeah, <laughs> Presently, Tuppence joined him there. <laughs> she heard he was going up to Mrs. Bet's room with, with her with camera. the camera. <laughs> and she goes, um, um, I need to leave. <laughs> hang on a minute. Just a second. <clears throat> You have no objection, I hope, Mrs. Betts, to my assistance looking through your wardrobe. Oh, why not at all? Do you need me here any longer? Tommy assured her that there was no need to detain her, and Mrs. Betts departed. Thank God. <laughs> 
We might as well go on bluffing it out, said Tommy. But personally, I don't believe we've a dog's chance of finding the thing. Curse you <laughs> and your 24-hour stunt, Tuppence. <laughs> Listen, said Tuppence. The servants are all right, I'm sure, but I managed to get something out of the French maid. <laughs> I bet she did. Wow. <laughs> all right. It worked out very well for everyone. Do you want to bring your camera? <laughs> it seems that when Lady Laura was staying here a year ago, she went out to tea with some friends of the Kingston Bruces, and when she got home, a teaspoon fell out of her muff. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't clench hard enough. <laughs> Should be doing her kegels or something. Everyone thought it must have fallen out by accident, but talking about similar robberies, I got hold of a lot more. Lady Laura is always staying about with people. She hasn't got a bean, I gather, and she's out for comfortable quarters with people to whom a title still means something. It may be a coincidence, or it may be something more, but... Five distinct thefts have taken place while she has been staying in various houses, sometimes trivial things, sometimes valuable jewels. Who said Tommy, <laughs> and gave a vent to a prolonged whistle. I can't whistle anyone, so... I'm... Thank you, Ken. Where's the old bird's room, do you know? Just across the passage. Then I think, I rather think, that we'll just slip across and investigate. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The room opposite stood with its door ajar. It was a spacious apartment with white enameled fitments and rose pink curtains. An inner door led to the bathroom. At the door of this appeared a slim, dark girl, very neatly dressed. Hmm. Tuppence checked the exclamation of astonishment on the girl's lips. This is Elise, Mr. Blunt, she said primely. Lady Laura's maid. Oh, no, I have to do a French accent. <laughs> no. Oh, I tried. No. <laughs> I tried. Tommy stepped across the threshold of the bathroom and approved inwardly its sumptuous and up-to-date fittings. He set to work to dispel the wide stare of suspicion on the French girl's face. You are busy with your duties, eh, Mademoiselle Elise? Yes, monsieur. I clean milady's bath. Well, perhaps you can help me with some photography instead. <laughs> I'll paint you like one of my French girls. <laughs> No, monsieur, I am not one of your French girls. No, no, you are not Leonardo DiCaprio on the Titanic. You cannot take photographs of me. I have a special kind of camera here, and I am photographing the interiors of all the rooms in this house. He was interrupted by the communicating door to the bedroom banging suddenly behind him. Elise jumped at the sound. What did that? It must have been the wind, said Tuppence. We will come into the other room, said Tommy. Elise went to open the door for them, but the doorknob rattled aimlessly. What's the matter, said Tommy sharply. Ah, monsieur, but somebody must have locked it on the other side. She caught up a towel and tried again, but this time the door handle turned easily enough, and the door swung open. 
voilà ce qui est stuck. Great. <laughs> Or at least that's what she says right after. Voila, it must have been stuck, <laughs> said Elise. <laughs> There was no one in the bedroom. See, it's a ghost. Tommy fetched his apparatus. <laughs> Tuppence and Elise worked. He does like his toys. Yeah. Tupp- Tuppence and Elise worked under his orders, but again and again, his glance went back to the communicating door. I wonder, he said between his teeth, I wonder why the door stuck. He examined it minutely, shutting and opening it. It fitted perfectly. One picture more, he said with a sigh. Uh, will you loop back to that rose curtain, Mademoiselle Elise? Thank you. Uh, just hold it so. A familiar click occurred. He handed a glass slide to Elise to hold, relinquishing the tripod to Tuppence and carefully readjusting and closed the camera. He made some easy excuse to get rid of Elise, and as soon as she was out of the room, he caught hold of Tuppence and spoke rapidly. Look here, I've got an idea. Can you hang on here? Search all the rooms. That will take some time. Try and get an interview with the old bird, Lady Laura, but don't alarm her. Tell her you suspect the parlor maid, but whatever you do, don't let her leave this house. I'm going off in the car. I'll be back as soon as I can. All right, said Tuppence, but don't be too cocksure. <laughs> Aren't all men? <laughs> no, many of them, in fact, are rather cock-timid. <laughs> You've forgotten one thing. The girl. There's something funny about that girl. Listen, I found out the time she started from the house this morning. It took her two hours to get to our office. That's nonsense. Where did she go before she came to us? Oh, there's something in that, admitted her husband. <laughs> well, follow up any old clue you like, but don't let Lady Laura leave the house. What's that? His quick ear had caught a faint rustle outside on the landing. He strode across to the door, but there was no one to be seen. Well, so long, he said. I'll be back as soon as I can. Tuppence watched him drive off in the car with a faint misgiving. Tommy was very sure. She herself was not so sure. <laughs> There were one or two things she did not quite understand. She was still standing by the window watching the road when she saw a man leave the shelter of a gateway opposite, cross the road, and ring the bell. In a flash, Tuppence was out of the room and down the stairs. Gladys Hill, the parlor maid, was emerging from the back part of the house, but Tuppence motioned her back authoritatively. Then she went out to the front door and opened it. A lanky young man with ill-fitting clothes and eager dark eyes was standing on the step. He hesitated a moment, and then he said, "'Is Miss Kingston Bruce in?' "'Will you come inside?' said Tuppence. She stood aside and let him enter, closing the door. "'Mr. Rennie, I think,' she said sweetly. He shot a glance at her. Uh, yes. Will you come in here, please? She opened the study door. The room was empty, and Tuppence entered it after him, closing the door behind her. He turned on her with a frown. I want to see Miss Kingston Bruce. Uh-oh, the socialist does know who she is. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure that you can, said Tuppence composedly. 
Look here, who the devil are you? Said Mr. Rennie rudely. International Detective Agency, said Tuppence, <laughs> and noticed Mr. Rennie's uncontrollable start. Please sit down, Mr. Rennie, she went on. To begin with, we all know about Miss Kingston Bruce's visit to you this morning. It was a bold guess, but it succeeded. <laughs> Perceiving his consternation, <laughs> Tuppence went on quickly. The recovery of the pearl is the great thing, Mr. Rennie. No one in this house is anxious for publicity. Can't we come to some arrangement? The young man looked at her keenly. I wonder how much you know, he said thoughtfully. Let me think for a moment. He buried his head in his hands, then asked a most unexpected question. I say... Is it really true that young St. Vincent is engaged to be married? Quite true, said Tuppence. I know the girl. Mr. Rennie suddenly became confidential. It's been hell, he confided. They've been asking her morning, noon, and night, chucking Beatrice at his head. Who's <laughs> Beatrice? What? Who's <laughs> Beatrice? So why are they throwing her? Chucking Beatrice at his head. All because he'll come into a title some day. If I had my way... Don't let's talk politics, said Tuppence hastily. Do you mind telling me, Mr. Rennie, why you think Miss Kingston Bruce took that pearl? I, I don't know. You do, said Tuppence calmly. You wait to see the detective, as you think. Drive off and the coast clear, and then you come and ask for her. It's obvious. If you'd taken a pearl yourself, you wouldn't be half so upset. Her manner was so odd, said the young man. She came this morning and told me about the robbery, explaining that she was on her way to a firm of private detectives. She seemed anxious to say something, and yet not able to get it out. Well, said Tuppence, all I want is the pearl. You better go and talk to her. But at that moment, Colonel Kingston Bruce opened the door. Lunch is ready, Miss Robinson. You will lunch with us, I hope the... And then he stopped and glared at the guest. Clearly, said Mr. Rennie, you don't want to ask me to lunch. All right, I'll go. <laughs> Come back later, whispered Tuppence as he passed her. Tuppence followed Colonel Kingston Bruce, still growling into his mustache about the <laughs> pestilential impudence of some people, into a massive dining room where the people were already assembled. Only one person present was unknown to Tuppence. This Lady Laura is Miss Robinson, who is kindly assisting us. Lady Laura bent her head and then proceeded to stare at Tuppence through her pince-nez. She was a tall, thin woman with a sad smile, a gentle voice, and very hard, shrewd eyes. Tuppence returned her stare and Lady Laura's eyes dropped. After lunch, Lady Laura entered into conversation with an air of gentle curiosity. How was the inquiry proceeding? Tuppence laid suitable stress on the suspicion attaching to the parlor maid, but her mind was not really on Lady Laura. Lady Laura might conceal teaspoons and other articles in her clothing. <laughs> <laughs> she might be a muff pincher, but I'm not worried. Whoa! <laughs> I think 
think she might be a muff pincher is the title of this episode. <laughs> but her mind was not really on Lady Laura. Lady Laura might conceal teaspoons and other articles in her clothing, but Tuppence felt fairly sure that she had not taken the pink pearl. Presently, Tuppence proceeded with her search of the house. Time was going on, and there was no sign of Tommy, and what mattered far more to Tuppence was there was no sign of Mr. Rennie. Suddenly, Tuppence came out of the bedroom and collided with Beatrice Kingston Bruce, who was going downstairs. She was fully dressed for the street. <laughs> is Beatrice... Oh, Beatrice is Ms. Oh, Kingston Bruce. That's her first name. Beatrice... And she She's being, is being thrown at St. Vincent. St. Vincent to marry, yeah. But Rennie actually wants to marry her, is presumably. Into her. Yeah. Like or she's into him, or yeah. there's something going there's on. Some, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so we now finally ah. know her first name. That makes more sense. Okay, thank you. I'm afraid, said Tuppence, that you mustn't go out just now. The other girl looked at her haughtily. Whether I go out or not, it's none of your business, she said coldly. It is my business whether I communicate with the police or not, though, said Tuppence. In a minute, the girl had turned ashy pale. You mustn't. You mustn't. I, I won't go out, but don't do that, she clung to Tuppence beseechingly. My dear Miss Kingston Bruce, said Tuppence, smiling, the case has been perfectly clear to me from the start. I... But she was interrupted. In the stress of her encounter with the girl, Tuppence had not heard the front doorbell. Now, to her astonishment, Tommy came bounding up the stairs, and in the hall below, she caught sight of a big burly man in the act of removing a bowler hat. Detective Inspector Marriott of Scotland Yard, he said with a <laughs> grin. With a cry, Beatrice Kingston Bruce tore herself from Tuppence's grasp and dashed down the stairs just as the front door was opened once more to admit Mr. Rennie. Now you have torn it, said Tuppence bitterly. Eh? said Tommy, hurrying into Lady Laura's room. <laughs> he passed into the bathroom and picked up a large cake of soap which he had brought out in his hands. The inspector was just mounting the stairs. <laughs> She went quite quietly, he announced. She's an old hand and knows when the game is up. What about the pearl? I rather fancy, said Tommy, handing him the soap, that you'll find it in here. The inspector's eyes lit up appreciatively. An old trick? An old trick and a good one. Cut a cake of soap in half, scoop out a place for the jewel, clap it together again, and smooth the join well over with hot water. A very smart piece of work on your part, sir. Tommy accepted the compliment gracefully. He and Tuppence descended the stairs. Colonel Kingston Bruce rushed at him and shook him warmly by the hand. Oh, my dear sir, I can't thank you enough. Lady Laura also wants to thank you. I'm glad that we have given you satisfaction, said Tommy, but I'm afraid I can't stop. I, I have a most urgent appointment, member of the cabinet. He hurried out to the car and jumped in. Tuppence jumped in behind him. But Tommy, she cried, haven't they arrested Lady Laura after all? Oh, said Tommy, didn't I tell you? Uh, they've, <laughs> not <laughs> they've not arrested Lady Laura. They've arrested Elise. The French maid. The French maid. You see, he went on, as Tuppence sat dumbfounded, 
I've often tried to open a door with soap on my hands myself. You know, it can't be done. Your hands slip. So I wondered what Elise could have been doing with the soap to get her hands all soapy as all that. She caught up a towel, you remember, so there were no traces of soap on the handle afterwards. But it occurred to me that if you were a professional thief, it wouldn't be a, such a bad plan to be made to a lady suspected of kleptomania who stayed about a good deal in different houses. So I managed to get a photo of her as well as of the room, inducing her to handle a glass slide and toddled off to dear old Scotland Yard. Lightning development of the negative, successful identification of fingerprints, and photo, Elise was a long-lost friend. Useful place, Scotland Yard. And to think, said Toppins, finding her voice, that those two young idiots were only suspecting each other in that weak way that they do in the books. But why didn't you tell me what you were going to do when you went off? In the first place, I suspected that Elise was listening on the landing. And in the second place, yes. My learned friend forgets, said Tommy. Thorndyke never tells until the last moment. Besides, <laughs> <laughs> you can't reveal the plot. Yep. Yep. You got to wait until the end. Besides, Tuppence, you and your pal Janet Smith put one over on me last time. This makes us square. <laughs> the end. Aww. Yeah. I thought Tuppence... Okay, so apparently the last case, Tuppence... Apparently the last case, Tuppence was yep. the one who figured it out. All right. All right. All right. All right. Did yeah. not see that coming. That, that was, was fun. fun. That was a good one. Oh, my God. That was fun. I had a lot of strange voices during that one. Yep. Um, you're welcome, and I'm sorry at home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, good job, Agatha. Good. Always. Did I mean, another got another that was one. Fun. I loved it. There were no ghosts. Uh, no ghosts, but there are rarely ghosts in Agatha Christie. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, she doesn't do that. She doesn't do spooky. The ghost took the pink pearl. Yeah, and then put it in her muff. <laughs> that muff pincher. <laughs> Uh, so dear listener, if you have enjoyed this episode, or even if you've just made it this far into the episode, <laughs> please send us a message with the phrase muff pincher. I'm just going to clarify for anyone who doesn't know a muff is like, uh, like it's a little tube of fur that you can put both put of your, your hands, hands in, in to keep them warm in the winter. And we don't really have them anymore. And it also sort of doubles as a purse. Yeah, it's yeah, but um, we never really said that, and there are probably warmer. people that don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is what a muff, when they're referring to it, means. Yep. When I'm referring to it, I think we all know. It means something else. <laughs> something else. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I think I so. Mean, I, like, I mean, that, I always finish Agatha Christie stories, and I'm like, I didn't see that coming. That was super fun. I have nothing else to say because it was just really good. It's just really good. And she she writes great characters, and... and She's like, so funny. Like... All the characters are so ridiculous. And like yeah. when they were all just standing in the room, like all bullshitting each yep. other, it was like, yeah, we've all been in that conversation before. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, of course. I have uh, read that book. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, my yeah. favorite. <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, tell your friends, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, send us an email or find us on our website, campfireclassicspodcast.com and uh, tell us what you think. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe.
So, uh, you made it to the end of another one. Congratulations. You and muff thank pincher. You. you muff pincher, you, you. You saucy little muff pincher, <laughs> you. So, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good in my muff. Oh, can I pinch a muff? May I? May I? I'm asking for consent. May I? <laughs> <laughs>